Pastor Smith always says, Pastor Smith, Dan always says to me, he said, you just whatever the Lord's put on your heart. And you know, I know what you're doing in this immerse Bible thing. And as I just prayed, I immediately felt to deal with something that I hope will encourage you as you're in the middle of this journey. I'm not sure at what point you're on, but as you're in the middle of this journey of what this is doing in you and what it will do through you in ways you do not know that you may not realize. And uh, I talked to dear Pastor Des just briefly before coming down, and I told him my homiletics teacher would flunk me for this one. But, you know, over the years, I have seen four things, four powers that the Bible claims for itself. And I just want to share those with you this morning. Would you, with me, lift your hands in a receiving position and invite the Holy Spirit to illumine his, his truth to us. Lord, I thank you that we serve a God who speaks, who does not leave us in the dark, but guides us into all truth. I pray we would know your truth this morning and that your truth would make us free from anything that holds us back from your best for us and what you have for us in and through your word. I thank you, Lord, for what this congregation is going through in this rich time in your word, and I just pray that it'll establish a pattern that goes far beyond that and in lifestyle. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I went on YouTube. By the way, I exhorted pastor in his office today to put more Bethesda worship on YouTube. I need it on the road, okay? So, uh, but I was on YouTube, and I thought of something, and there was a gentleman named James Weldon Johnson many years ago preached a, a very dramatic sermon on creation, and of course, it was a melodramatic thing, and it was powerful, and he talked about God taking the light in his hands and forming it into the sun and so forth. The only problem is that's not the way it happened. In the repose of authority, God didn't even stand to create all we see. He spoke. Very often when I'm praying for someone who's ill, it's just natural. I pray, God, speak a word of healing. The centurion knew it so well. This pagan Roman centurion, he said, you don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But you just speak the word and my servant will be healed. That is the creative power of God's word. This is not a text, but a starting point. You know it well. I'll read it from the New American Standard Version. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active. And I need to tell you just for a little insight, that second word, living literally means just that. It's alive. The Word is alive. But I love that second word. The Greek word is energeo, from which we get the word energy or energizing. It's not only alive, it energizes us. The word is living and active. 
energizing and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The first power I want to share with you that the Bible claims for itself is the power of regeneration. The word is used by Jesus once in Matthew. It is used by Paul in his epistle to Titus. What does regeneration mean? The Greek word is very simple. Palangenesia. Palan means again. Genesia, from which we get the word genesis, means beginning. Regeneration simply means beginning again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 he says, you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. We're talking about spiritual genetics here. How many of you have ever heard of Gregor Mendel? Oh yeah, Gregor Mendel was an Austrian monk in the 19th century who had a, a, a huge curiosity. He's actually the father of modern genetics, this Austrian monk. And he established the principles of modern genetics. Some tried to dispute them, but they found out he was right. And uh, he did it by breeding yellow and green garden peas. Okay? And how many of you have heard of dominant genes and recessive genes? Gregor Mendel came up with that because, believe it or not, the yellow peas dominated the green peas. And you know that so many people have superstitions about genetics. Let's just take eye color. Which color of eyes is dominant, brown or blue? Which is recessive, brown or blue? So if you have two brown-eyed parents, you will always have a brown-eyed child, right? Wrong. Let's talk about noses. By the way, Gregor Mendel, in advance, refuted one of Darwin's theories. Darwin tried unsuccessfully to prove that we are a blending of the characteristics of our parents, grandparents, our ancestors. And Gregor Mendel proved that we're not a blending of those characteristics. We are a combination of those statistics, those characteristics. Why? You don't have a brown-eyed parent and a blue-eyed parent and then have brown and blue speckled eyes in the kid or something in between the brown and blue, kind of a washed out brown or a dirty blue. You get brown or you get blue. And it is falsely believed by many that genes skip generations. It looks like that, but that's not really what's happening. And you know that you can have a Great-great-great-great-grandparent. You can have all brown-eyed people, one great-great-great-great-grandparent. Now, the odds are against it, but who had blue eyes, and you can have a blue-eyed kid because it's not blending. It's combination. And I mentioned noses. I mean, let's face it. So you got mom's got a cute little short nose. Dad's got this big nose. 
You don't get this average nose in between the two. In fact, you can have two short-nosed parents, and if Grandpa has a big one, hello? Are you with me? Let me see your hands. I can't tell by your faces. You say, Randy, why are you talking about genetics? Because the Bible does. We are born again. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says of this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, most things, all things have become new. We're not talking physical here. We're talking spiritual. Let me tell you, friends, I'm not here to dispute that there are characteristics and inclinations, most of which are behavioral, not genetic. But your grandfather and your father may have been criminals. Your mother or grandmother may have been a prostitute. You are a new creation. You are not under some generational curse that has spiritually determined who you are. You are a new creation. The Word of God says we are born again of the imperishable seed that is the Word of God. The second power I want to talk about is not talked about as much. The power of sanctification. In a passage, you know, Paul so often, in, when he's addressing one particular thing, he'll just kind of digress and say something incredibly powerful, just kind of off the cuff. And he says that when he's talking about husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now I want you to notice something, friends. The husband, like Christ, is to sacrifice more than the wife. It does not say, for this cause shall a woman leave her family and cleave to her husband. It says, for this cause shall a man leave his family and he cleaves to the wife. The self-sacrifice of our Lord is the example of what a husband should be. That's not part of the message. I just, something said I should say that. He said that he gave himself up for the church so that he might sanctify the church, cleanse or make holy the church by washing of water with the word. Do you know that the the Lord of the church uses the word to cleanse us? And may I tell you, friends, we are in a climate and a culture in our nation in which attacks on Christians, on the church, and on the Bible itself are going to continue to increase. Because when the Bible says something is sin, listen, right is right if nobody's right, wrong is wrong if everybody's wrong. 
and what the Word of God says, you're going to see the Bible under attack. Why? Because when the Bible says this is sin or that is sin, well, then we've got to reinterpret it. We've got to modernize it. We've got to drag the Bible kicking and screaming into this century. That is going to be on the crease. We live in a spiritually polluted and a spiritually polluting environment. And we can't escape the pollution. But I will tell you, friends, when you are reading through the Word, the Lord of the church uses that Word to cleanse your thoughts, to cleanse your attitudes, to wash you from the pollution of the world around you. We need to live in the Word, not just on Sunday when you hear Pastor Dan preach, but you need the Word every day. Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy, said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. I, I, I'll tell you a little confession of my son. On the way to the airport, I was telling my son, Russ, I said, uh, I said yeah, I said, Dan's going to pick me up at the airport. We're going right to babes. And uh, then I said the next day, I'm going to lunch at In-N-Out Burger, and then next evening I'm going to Papa Do's with my former assistant who now lives in the Metroplex area. And my son said, Dad, do you know what you're going to preach yet? <laughs> and I told the, the server at Babes, which is true, I've been to more than 100 countries. I'm sorry. Babes is on my top three, along with Jerry's Seafood in Annapolis, Maryland, and Alfredo's in Rome, Italy. Those are the big three for me. Hello? And let me tell you, all the essential nutrients to sustain life are in one plate at Babes. <laughs> Martin Luther used a different preposition. We talk about living in the Word. He talked about living under the Word. Friends, we submit our lives under the authority of God's Word. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Therefore, having these promises, and he was talking about the wonderful promises about relationship with God previous to this. He said, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. How do you cleanse yourself? With the Word. And incidentally, I know I've talked to you about Greek tense before. In years gone by, there's punctiliar tense, linear tense. They're both in this verb, in this verse. Punctiliar means it happens at one point in time. Linear is an ongoing action. Cleanse yourself is a punctiliar action. How many of you took a shower this morning? You did it on a particular day. In other words, when the Word of God points something out to you in your life and convicts you, and there's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. The devil brings condemnation. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. Can you imagine in a court of law, a district attorney saying, we need to lock this guy up because he is just a jerk. 
And the judge would say, give me evidence. Give some specific charges, right? You know what? The Holy Spirit, when he washes you with the water of the word, will bring specific charges. Very specific actions we need to do to cleanse ourselves. And this is something, and I know I said this old thing before because I do remember saying it here, but it says perfecting holiness in the fear of God, that is a linear tense. You don't become holy on a particular day like you cleanse yourself on a particular day of a particular sin. You become holy and you'll see this when we come to the next power of the word, that it is an ongoing linear action. Now, when I grew up, and I said this before, but I'll repeat it, you know, my mom could not wear a pearl. How many grew up in the Assemblies of God? How many ladies know you couldn't even wear a pearl, right? You know? Assemblies of God's not that way anymore, especially not in Texas. And now you can wear fishing tackle. Just look around you. But you know, we need to discover while there are some things we need to stop, you don't become holy because you take off your earrings or don't put on your makeup or don't wear open-toed shoes or whatever it is, that doesn't make you holy. You are perfecting or maturing holiness in the fear of God. And you know what? When you read the Word the Holy Spirit, now I'll use an old King James English term, quickens. I'm not talking about TurboTax or your tax software, okay? Quicken means to bring life to. It's a living word. It's energizing. And when you read the word and the word convicts you of a particular sin or whatever it is, Aren't you thankful for 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he's writing that to believers. We confess it. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. With the washing of water, with the word. And I'll tell you what we got a whole culture and climate, and sadly, it's even polluted the thinking of the church that if you just pretend it's not there, you'll, God will somehow forget about it. You know, not dealing with sin when God convicts you of it. Let me put it this way. If I went to, to the doctor and he did a chest x-ray, and then he comes out with the x-rays and he says, uh, Randy, here, you've got, got a couple of spots here. We're going to have to go in and check this out. A couple of spots on your lung, on your left lung. And I said, but doctor, why don't you just touch up the x-rays? That may sound funny, but friends, that's almost exactly what many in our culture and tragically many in the church are doing. They just find a way to... to shroud the diagnosis, and let me tell you, that malignancy will continue to grow. You either deal with it, or that disease will perpetuate itself and multiply itself. We need the cleansing, washing of water by the Word. I have a sister and a brother. My sister and I grew up in Africa. We went to boarding school together. My sister was a brilliant girl. She could have been 
She could have been a senator. She could have been a congresswoman. She could have been a doctor, an attorney. And uh, she was very bright. But she had lung cancer in her early 20s, had one lung removed, and then she got staph infection. They had to remove ribs and collapse one side, and that caused curvature of the spine, scoliosis, which in turn produced migraine headaches, and she, she lived a, a life of pain. But you know, when we were growing up, my sister was a strong girl, and I have proof, eight millimeter proof of her abuse of me. I was five years younger. I have it on film. I go hang tinsel on the tree, go around. She'd go take the tinsel off the tree I hung off, and, and she'd hang it back on like it should have been done, you know? That to say, my sister and I never really got along well. And it was in her early 40s. It was in her early 40s. And I was traveling. I wasn't living in Springfield at the time. And I came and saw her, and she seemed so sweet. I mean, it was, she was like a different person. And I thought, this is a wonderful phase, you know. When well, we moved to Springfield, and, you know, after a couple of years, and I commented to my wife, Ruth, I said, Ruth, have you noticed how sweet my sister is? And she said, yeah, I've noticed it too. I said, I wonder how long this phase will last. And after two years, I drove to my sister's house. And I said, Jude, i got to ask you a question. I said, you are not the sister I grew up with. I said, you're sweet. For two years, you've been sweet. What's with this? And she kind of smiled softly and told me, she said, you know, a couple of years ago, pastor encouraged my sister read books. I mean, she was a prolific reader. And especially Laura Ingalls Wilder, all that stuff. Little House on the Prairie. She'd have never survived on the prairie, but she liked to read about it. And pastors said one Sunday challenged us, would you consider, those of you that are readers, spend just half as much time reading God's Word as you do reading other stuff? Just half the time. And she said, I thought I can do that. And she started to read the Word daily. She had read it before, but, you know, just kind of promise box approach. And she was reading through it. And she came to a verse in Hebrews. It was such a simple verse. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It was that one word, diligently, that the Holy Spirit shone a spotlight on and she realized, she said, I can't do that. I seek him, but I don't diligently say. Do you know that God can convict you with one word? And it wasn't about stealing, lying. It was about a lack of diligence. And my sis, she said, I, I saw myself for what I was. The word will show you what you are, who you are. But it won't leave you there. And she said, God, I don't want to be like this. 
And God began to change her. She was transformed into a different person. She is proof positive. Oh, listen, I have a friend of mine that says, jokingly, Jesus changes people, but not very much. And I modified it. Jesus changes people, but not very much, usually after the first year of their Christian life. You ever notice, first year of Christian life, there's a lot of change, and then it kind of slacks off. May I tell you, I don't care how long you've been serving God, the power of his word can change you today, in midlife, in late life. As long as you're alive, the washing of water with the word can cleanse you, which brings us to the next power of the word, the power of transformation. You all know this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship or reasonable service. And just a little thing I'll throw here. Don't throw out the word reasonable because the Greek word is logikain, from which we get the word logical. Paul is saying, look, if he gave, he died for you, you can live for him. It's that simple. And in 2 Corinthians, he says it this way. He said, I am convinced one died for all. Therefore all died and he died for all that we who live should no longer live for ourselves but live for him who died and rose again on our behalf. How are we going to live for him? He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your spiritual service of worship in the New American Standard. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of, it doesn't say your heart, of your mind. He changes. Do you know that faith does not begin in the heart? Faith is activated in the heart. Faith begins in the mind. We hear the word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. We hear the word, our mind processes that. The Holy Spirit illumines our mind to the truth. The Holy Spirit activates faith in the heart. But he does it by renewing our mind. And these words conform, transform. In English, they have the same stem or root, form. That's not true in Greek. You see, when he's talking about don't be conformed to this world. It's the Greek word from which you get the word schematic. It's talking about our appearance. It's more an outward thing. Transformed is an inward thing. All right? Now listen, he's saying don't conform yourself. See, we're capable of conforming ourselves to be like the world. In fact... If we do nothing, it's going to happen. I like the way J.B. Phillips says it. I'm sure you've read it. He says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Listen, the world is pressing you from all sides in a certain direction. And he's saying, don't let. And, and by the way, there's a voice issue thing here going on in Greek that's really cool. Because when he says, present your body, that's active voice. When he says, be transformed, that's passive. Now, it's all imperative, it's all a command, but the force of the action's different on all three words. 
And when he says, don't be conformed to this world, it's middle voice, which we don't have in English. And here's my definition of middle voice. The decision of the action is the subject's, but the force of the action is passive. In other words, we decide whether we're not going to be like the world, but we are not the force that protects us from being like the world. We have to choose ourselves not to be conformed by the world. Are you with me? He said, but be transformed, and I love this word. You know it from junior high science class. Be transformed, metamorpho, from which we get the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, if you remember, describes a certain kind of change that takes place in nature where the thing changing is not a little modification. It is a change from one kind of a thing to another kind of a thing that is nothing like what it used to be. And what was the thing your science teacher used to demonstrate metamorphosis to you? The caterpillar and the butterfly. The butterfly looks nothing like the caterpillar. Moves by a different mode of transportation. It flies instead of crawls. The caterpillar's ugly. The butterfly's beautiful. And, through, and by the way, the same thing happens in the mineral kingdom and the vegetable kingdom. Because how many remember igneous rock and sedimentary rock and metamorphic rock, which is petrified wood. It used to be wood, now it's stone. Now that's what he is saying happens to us. May I tell you, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is not learning to accept your identity or cleaning up your act or making a little psychological adjustment. It is a radical change from one kind of a thing to another kind of a thing that is nothing like what it used to be. We used to be children of darkness. Now we are children of light. We used to serve Satan. Now we're serving him. We change kingdoms, and I love it in Colossians when Paul says this. He rescued us from the domain of darkness, punctilier, on a certain day. He rescued us and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We are children of the kingdom. We have a different citizenship. That is transformation. He says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? And this is what's so important. 2 Corinthians 3.18. That word metamorpho is only used twice by the apostle Paul. It is used twice, incidentally, in the Gospels, but it's translated differently. It's translated in the Gospels as transfigure, when Jesus was changed in physical appearance on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Now, back to Paul. Paul says in Romans 12, be transformed by the ring of your mind. But in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he tells us how it's going to happen. He said, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed linear into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Have you noticed when you cut down a tree, there are rings in the tree? 
and there's a ring for every season. There's a winter ring, and there's a spring and summer ring, right? Growth, there are two simple laws of growth. Number one, growth always happens in stages. On Facebook, if you want to look up Randy Hurst, you'll find I post, I don't post a lot. I posted that I'm going to be at Bethesda, and I posted the worship this morning. But I posted when my son, my grandson rather, was the top scorer on his team for the Glendale Falcons a week ago. And you know what? You would not, he's now five foot 11, and I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm going to tell you, that has all happened in a few months. How many had a kid like that? You just bought them new clothes, and now all of a sudden, I mean, in a few months, they don't fit them anymore. Do you know why? Because children, remember when you used to draw on a certain place on the house, on a, a door jam or whatever, on their birthday where they were, and if you'll notice, the lines are not consistently equal between them. Why? Because children do not grow like this. Children grow like this. Are you with me? How many moms know what I'm talking about? Right? And you know what? The same thing is true spiritually. I'm, I'll, I'll make a confession. I said to my pastor, my general superintendent, Doug Clay, and I mean this sincerely. I said, Doug, I've been wrestling with something. I said, in the last number of years, I don't feel like I've grown like I should have grown. I'm discouraged. I need to grow. And, and I'm not spilling my guts here. I'm just trying to tell you. Do you ever go through that? You say, look, something's not happening. And you know what? It's not a cop-out. We don't grow like this. We'd love to grow like this. We grow like this. And what is the reason for the stages? Growth also happens in struggle. You know that when I was a kid, lived out in the country, my dad was a drugstore cowboy, so he got three horses and got seven acres out in the country, and he traveled the world and preached, and I shoveled manure. <laughs> and across, across the road was a dairy farm, and the kid who lived, worked, his name was C.W. Hubbard, Carl Wayne, but you know, the Carl and the Wayne are C.W., and C.W. and I found one time a butterfly that was coming out of a cocoon. And he was having a terrible time, he or she. We didn't know the gender. The butterfly was having a terrible time, and C.W. took his knife and cut the cocoon to let him out. And he came out, and he just had these wet, limp. And you know what? He never spread them. Do you know what I learned in biology class? That the, small, the hole of the cocoon of the butterfly, when it comes out, has to be not large enough, but small enough to put pressure, pressure on that butterfly so it works its wings and its butterfly blood, which is blue, by the way. His blue butterfly blood has to get into the wings, and if he never goes through that struggle, he will never have the strength to spread his wings. You know, I love all kinds of music, and uh, I saw this Facebook thing. I think Buddy Johnson did it. 
Remember Woody Johnson? And he had all these quizzes, and it just gave you a phrase, and you had to guess the hymn, and I got 100%. Man, I know the hymn book. And you know, there are some great old songs. There's some great old songs that I think of. And you remember this one, Dan? More about, yes, I know. <laughs> that was really good. I still believe one of the greatest faith hymns, and I mentioned this to, to Dan at lunch, is Andre Crouch's Through It All. And he said, you sang that not long ago. That's one thing I love about Bethesda. You don't just get rid of all the old ones. Just do whatever's fad. And by the way, not all the old songs are worth singing. I mean, remember this one, Becky? I'm in right out, right up, right down, right happy all the time. <sighs> but listen to what he says. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow, times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. I thank God for the mountains. I thank Him for the valleys. I thank Him for each storm He's brought me through. Because if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God can do. You see, the Word is the source of faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, but that has to be applied in life. And then the chorus, it ties it to the source. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. That's where the faith comes from. And you know why? Listen, it's about Jesus. He is the living word. Hebrews says God spoke in so many ways. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke through Old Testament scripture. But in these last days, he's spoken through his son. Unless we knew the son, we could not truly know the father. Because he is the living word. But you know, how do you get to know Jesus? Remember this one? Yep. More about Jesus in his word. Holding communion with my Lord. Hearing his voice in every line. Making each faithful saying, mine. Personally appropriate the promises of God. It's a personal faith. Now, I've got my notes on cheats. But I have two New American Standard Bibles, and they're big dudes, and I just don't carry them on the road. But that's what I read in at home. And you know what? If you go through there, you find all kinds of different colors of ink, different size pens, everything, and stuff underlining. How many got Bibles at home marked up? You know why? You were reading it. The Lord quickened it. You marked it. You were appropriating it. You were making that faithful saying yours. Because the same Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write the book is here to illumine your mind to the truth. The source of faith is the Word of God. A friend of mine, he's retired now, David Petz, 
went to university in Oxford, England, majored in philosophy. Oxford's a hard school to get into. It's even harder to get out of. <laughs> and David majored in philosophy, young Christian, early, I think he was 21 at the time, went early. And uh, he had a particular tutor, professor, who was an atheist. There are more than a few at Oxford. And he, David was assigned a paper. And he decided, they were, they were, the professor was discussing Descartes' ontological argument, for those of you that are familiar with it. And so David decided to write this paper on the existence of God. See, he was so convinced of the existence of God. It was so real to him. It was fact to him. He wrote this paper to try to help bring his professor to faith. Well, the papers were turned in, and then the next week came, and the professor handed them back with the grades. Everyone's except David's. And he kept David's up there, and he said, uh, I kept one paper back, and David's heart leaped within him, leapt within him. He said to himself, I got to him. I reached him. He's going to say now, at least he has doubts about his atheism, which is a good thing. Contrary to that, piece by piece, that professor just demolished David's arguments in front of the whole class, then took the paper and disdainfully threw it on David's desk. David told me, he said, the worst part of it was not just I felt I'd let God down, that I was ashamed but he said, when I was walking back to my room, I felt my own faith was shaken. He said, I got to my room, and there was my Bible. And I said, God, I don't even know what I believe anymore. you got to help me. And I don't advocate this, neither would David Patz. It's not a good method of Bible study. He just flopped it open put his finger down on the page. And you know, while that's not a method of Bible study, I think, that God would have us do, you know, God in his mercy will accommodate people like he accommodated those who swiped the Apostle Paul's aprons and put them on sick people, and God honored and healed them. And his finger had fallen on Psalm 119, verse 99. I have more insight than all my teachers. For thy testimonies are my meditation. And the faith that he thought was gone flooded his soul again. He said, it doesn't matter what my teacher says. I know what the word of God says. His testimonies are my meditation. And by the way, that Hebrew word testimony is really talking about admonitions. In other words, God's instructing us what to do and what not to do. That's the transforming power of God's Word. You know, I, I, I like the WWJD thing. What would Jesus do? I think it's a, it's a good thing. But how are you going to know what Jesus would do 
if you don't know what Jesus did. You don't just out of your imagination say, well, what would Jesus do now? If you have been reading through your immersion Bible and have read through all the Gospels, all kinds of things will come to you because you have read about Jesus. You know what Jesus has done, so you know what Jesus would do. It's not left to your imagination, even with its best, best motives. I have, and I, and I share with you in, in my iPhone here somewhere. No, it's down there. doesn't matter. I have a thing in my iPhone I just call daily texts, and I'm breaking them into three groups. I read some in the morning, some in the midday, some in the evening, and they're not rigid, so I add to them periodically. I've even dictated them, so sometimes I'm getting ready in the morning. I, put it, I listen to myself reading them. And you know, yes, we know the word is bread, right? It's our ongoing sustenance, which, by the way, you know, um, my former pastor, who was a, a great preacher, orator kind of preacher, said to his son, who was also a preacher, he said, you know, he said, I sometimes wonder if, if our congregation even remembers next week what I did. I did all this work to prepare this message. I wonder if they even remember it. And his son said, Dad, how many great meals do you remember? He said, well, I remember in Nice, France, when we were at Bob and Hazel, we had that wonderful French dinner. And, and I tell you what, I've been to 100 countries, and I already told you the top three. I could think of a few more, but I'd run out of fingers on two hands of the great meals I remember. But you know what, folks? The Word is bread. It doesn't have to be an outstanding memory. I honestly believe that if someone leaves a service when one of us is preaching and says, that was a great sermon, but it doesn't change anything in their life, it doesn't change how they think we failed. How many meals? You know, that that's why you need to be in God's house. And I will tell you, I'm preaching to other people, so I listen online. I listen to my pastor, Dr. James Bradford, I listened to someone who was in my youth group in Des Moines, who was a great pastor in Minneapolis, Jack Perrin, and I listened to J. Daniel Smith and Bethesda Community Church because you know what? I need that food, that, that regular food. And, but you know, it's not just food I need. I need medication. Serious. I already told you all the essential nutrients to sustain life are in a plate at babes. But it won't cure diabetes. Might help it along a little, I don't know, but <laughs> you see, as you read, as you're reading, take it back to the Merch Bible, as you read through and the Holy Spirit quickens something to you. My daily texts are a combination of just encouragement I need, but some of them are prescriptions that God, by His Holy Spirit, when I've been reading the Word of God, has quickened to my heart, and I say, I need this. And it's not that I just need this today. I need this every day. There are some verses in my daily texts have been there for years because I still need them. Not once in a while. I need them every day. You see, it's not just the Word. I believe it's medicine. The Holy Spirit will prescribe text for you as you read. 
and enable you as you let God use us in your life to, to minister to your spiritual needs. And lastly, the power of multiplication. Now the first three are for within us. Regeneration, sanctification, transformation. Multiplication. In Mark chapter 4, 8, you know it. Jesus said other seeds, talking of the word, fell into the good soil as they grew up and increased. They yielded a crop that produced 30, 60, 100 fold. Do you know that when you live the word of God, it is multiplied through your life? Now, let's quickly reiterate these. Four powers of the word. Regeneration, sanctification, transformation, multiplication. John 15, 7 says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you wish and it shall be done unto you. You say, well, is that a formula for getting what I want? No. You see, if his words abide in you, his words will instruct your praying and his word will guide your praying to pray for what God wants you to pray for. Hello? So it is living in the word. And if we live in the word... James 1.21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not hearers only who delude themselves. What does it mean to be a doer of the word? I want to challenge you. Yes, read the word, but study the word. Meditate on the Word. And talk about the Word. If your mind and heart are being filled with the Word, you ought to be conversing with other believers and unbelievers. Let me tell you what I read in the Bible today. It came alive. And you know what? It'll not only bless them, it'll bless you all over again. And while you speak about the Word, I have learned this that God will give you new insights. He will intensify a particular aspect of that word. And then, last of all, live it. And when you live the word, and I know that the easy way to talk about the power of multiplication is to talk about personal evangelism. But may I tell you, when we live in the word when it has regenerated us, it is sanctifying us, it is transforming us, it will enable us to have an impact on other people. Not just through what we say, but how we live. And I have to tell you, something very precious happened for me just the last year, and, and I close with this. I've had the privilege... I, I love to preach God's Word. I love studying it even more than preaching it. And I've had privilege of preaching in the Olympic Stadium in Amsterdam to 25,000 people and, and to 75,000 in Seoul, Korea, and three people in Pipestone, Minnesota. And I'm going to tell you what, I love preaching to three people in Pipestone, Minnesota. But I will tell you, and I know I've said this before, it is as great a thrill, it is as great a thrill to be sitting next to someone on an airplane with whom God gave me a divine appointment 
to have the privilege of praying with them to receive Jesus and it is to preach to 75,000 people. I say that sincerely. But I had a new kind of thrill last year. See, I don't get what Pastor Des and Pastor Dan have because I'm not a pastor. They get to see people grow. They have married people that were children in the church and then dedicated their babies and, and then had their graduations of their babies when they grew up. He's an old guy. <laughs> but you see, I don't get to do that. And I could list several, but I won't list several. Once in a while, I'll be like, I was in Akron, Ohio, and three people come up, uh, father, mother, and a teenage girl, and say, our daughter here who's 17 wants to meet you because when she was 11 years old, you were, we were stationed in Anchorage, Alaska, and, and when she was 11, she went forward to receive Jesus when you preached, and now we moved to Ohio, and we, we don't go to this church, but we heard you were going to be here, and she wanted to meet you. And I'm going to tell you, those are thrills. But I don't know if anything touches this. This last year, I got a Facebook message. I'm not big on Facebook, I have to tell you. I, I don't want to see your lunch. <laughs> you know, I mean, the stuff people post, what a waste. But there are some great things about it, like uniting in prayer on Facebook. But I got a private message. And she said, you may not remember me. My name's Vicki. I immediately remembered her. I hadn't known for more than 30 years what had happened to her. And she said, when I was a high school teenager, I got pregnant. I wasn't serving the Lord, but I didn't want to have an abortion. And... Someone came to you, a pastor came to you. It wasn't from the church where we were. It was from another Sons of God church in Iowa. And the pastor of that church said to Ruth and me, would you take this young lady into your home? We've, we've got to have her there for six months until she gives birth. And the people in the church who are going to adopt the baby can't know who she is and, you know, all of this stuff. We didn't even hesitate. Yeah, well, and I will tell you, there's, there's a whole different thing to take someone out to lunch and to invite him into your home for six months. She wasn't a believer. She lived on the couch in the Afghan and didn't offer to help Ruth with anything. And she could have. But you know what? We just loved her. And, and then she had the baby. We never heard from her again. Didn't know what had happened to her. Until this last year. And she said... I wasn't a Christian when I came to your home, but I was when I left. She said, because of the way you and Ruth treated me, I wanted to follow Jesus. And she said, after I left, God called me to the ministry. I went to Bible college, graduated from Bible college, and had gone on into ministry and when she said, when my son that I carried in my womb in your house was 18, he was given the prerogative of meeting his birth mother, and he wanted to do it. And here's a picture of me and my 30-year-old son. And he's also serving Jesus.
because you opened our home, your home to us. That's the power of multiplication, of living the word. It's not just about preaching to people. It's about living the word so it has an impact and that life multiplies in the lives of others. Lord Jesus, I, I have tried to share, and it's not a normal way to deal with these four things, but God, I thank you for the power of your word in our lives. I thank you that this congregation is going through the scriptures, through the New Testament, Monday through Friday. Lord, I pray that just something I have shared today will have brought encouragement to them that in ways they don't even realize today as they're doing it, Lord, you are cleansing them. You are transforming them. You are shaping their hearts as they read your word. And Lord, as Martin Luther said, we commit ourselves to living under your word. And I'm going to ask you, before pastor comes to close and dismiss, if you do something else, you've made the commitment, you've got the Bible, you're reading through that New Testament, would you be willing to lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I submit my life under your word to cleanse me, to transform me so that I can live a life that is effective and multiplies in the lives of others. And I thank you for what you're going to do. I praise you, Lord. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You're here as pastor comes. You don't have God's peace in your heart that if you were to die today, the Lord would return today, that you're ready to stand before him. You can leave with that peace. I'd like to pray with you right where you are in your seat. No one's looking around. Would you just lift a hand and say, Randy, I need Jesus' forgiveness. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Someone else? Thank you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bethesda family, would you pray with these who raise their hands as I lead in a prayer so they're not having to pray alone? Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. Forgive my sins. Take control of my life. I want to live for you because you died for me. Thank you because I know you have forgiven me and I am your child in Jesus' name.